We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Thirty Helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Unsights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's been worse. I'm going back home for a few days this week, which is slightly terrifying. I, I know, uh, we're, we're both in various levels of don't eat yummy things, uh, right now, but I demand that you find a, a croissant while you're in Montreal because they're just too damn tasty. Uh, I, I may have to do that. I'll be doing all sorts of things that it's going to be my, it'll be just a period of just, just dense with sin <laughs> and that'll be, that'll be part of you're it. You're on sabbatical. Sure. It's cool. This week, we heard from a bunch of you um, a few major topics over the week. But first, we had the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll. And uh, talking with Ken and uh, and Shannon, uh, you guys hate Facebook. And we've been doing the poll on Facebook. So we also put it up at the Santa Site TV website as well. So uh, if, if you vote at one, please don't vote at the other because we want to keep it somewhat legit. But I suppose... You know, theoretically, you could all game the system. But uh, talk um, with Ken, Keith, Shannon, Alana, um, who votes for anything with Katie Sackhoff, or votes because of Katie Sackhoff, which is something that I would re- I respect and agree with. Mario, who voted for Smash, just because it was the finale, that did not win. And when I found out it was two hours, I was not particularly sad about that. I like that even when it comes to finale time, Smash just can't win things. Yeah, it it, it really it came very close. It was between Longmire and Smash. With a Master Master Chef was the early front runner, but it came down to Longmire and Smash in the end. Also talked pilots with Les, Matt, Tim, Shannon, Keith, Beth, Dan, and Zach. Now at Summit Site for June theme is going to be uh, great TV pilots, and that's also going to extend into July, <laughs> if not. Uh, the whole month and at least probably about half the month. And so, uh, Simon, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, all I know is that we are having a staff-wide thing. I mean, people are going to be submitting articles about their individual, I guess, individual favorite pilots, if not their favorite pilots ever, uh, or just particularly good pilots. Uh, I would like to, you know what I would like to see, and I, I, I don't think I'm the person for the job, but I would like to see someone to do a list of, Great pilots for shows that ended up being not all that great, because I was Heroes. actually thinking of Smash. Yep, Smash uh, is another one which had a really good pilot. And... Yeah, no, there are definitely there are definitely we're and we're going to be doing some of those shows as well. I don't want to spoil them all, but uh, we're not doing right now. At least we're not doing uh, Heroes. And trying to remember, I think it was Mandy was saying there could be a whole treatise written on uh, the pilot of Glee and the pilot of Smash, maybe a compare contrast, but those are both really fabulous. And the pilot of Cop Rock. 
<laughs> really Come fantastic on. pilots with less successful overall series, uh, I would say. But no, they just for that. For, yeah, I was re- watching a bunch of shows this past uh, this past weekend, so I was talking with you guys about them. But uh, I'm going to be writing up Dick Van Dyke Show, Taxi, Justified, uh, Alias, a whole a whole slew of pilots that uh, I really do very much appreciate. I was disappointed by the Mary Tyler Moore Show pilot, though. I will not be writing that one up because. Only about half of it works, but but that was a lot of fun, and uh, you guys can look forward to at least one review of a different of a pilot every single day through the month of June. Uh, about half, about uh, not even half, about a third of them are already in, and so that'll kick off on uh, on on Saturday this week uh, at the on the first. But uh, yeah, that was that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll see if I can if I can you know power through a few more here before we get into June, but. Uh, yeah, are you are you doing any of those? Remind me. Uh, I I should be doing one or two, but I I haven't uh, I I'm I'm not hard and set on those yet, so I'd rather not. Yeah, well, that that's cool. That's cool. We also heard from Bob, who wants to know if we're going to watch The Killing season three. It's it it has such a good cast, right? But it does serial killers, and I I I don't trust Venus Sued. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I might watch an episode just because I like Peter Sarsgaard so much, but eh, I wouldn't count on more than that unless it really, really wows me. Well, I have a feeling that's something I should put in the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll because that's the way to get me to watch it. <laughs> so we'll let the listeners By committee, speak. yeah. Yeah, on that one. Manuel uh, says that we need to check out Utopia, which is a British a British series. I think it's on BBC Four right now. Which looks interesting. I never heard of it, so thank you for bringing it to our attention. Um, Ken, we were talking about Hannibal, and he loved Lance Henriksen uh, in this episode. And as you'll hear from us a little bit later, so we'll, did we'll get we. There. We'll get there. <laughs> but he he liked the little shout out fist pound on the armchair, which was uh, I don't know if it was an intentional reference to Millennium, because of course his character on that show did the same same thing. But uh, it was it was very. It was a very nice little touch. Even if it was accidental, it was it was a fun thing to notice. Also heard from Tickle Talk, who likes the Board to Death credits too, even though even though they haven't seen the show, and uh, they clearly have excellent taste in opening credits. We really that should be a list. I, I think somebody's already done a list of that at Sound on Sight, but I don't know. We need to find a way to 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 bring some more attention to that. Maybe that should be a monthly theme. Opening credit, well, maybe best opening credits even different post every day. I don't know. And then finally, we t- I talked edgy, air quotes, edgy, procedural cliches with uh, Dan, Amanda, Kyle, and Bruce. I, I was watching NBC Pilots um, this week. I don't know if those are open for me to review yet because they put them up there for us to watch. And then each pilot had pilot not for review across the bottom of it. So I don't know why it's there. Yeah, that's confusing because people yeah. who watch screeners definitely at least tweet about them. Uh, although generally they say they save their proper reviews for mm-hmm. maybe a week before the premiere, so maybe that's what they're aiming to do. But yes, I I don't envy you right now. It was very uh, I was because I, I was reading there. There's always a, a letter, cover letter that goes with to let you know, you know, if there are certain things you're not supposed to mention that they would prefer you didn't mention, or just more information. And there's nothing on there about a ban or a moratorium on reviews. But then every single pilot said pilot not for review. So I'm not. <laughs> At this <laughs> point, sure. NBC should they should 
it should actually come with a thing saying, even if you hate this, we won't let you keep seeing screeners unless you talk about them as much as possible. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm not going to get in trouble for saying that Crisis has a really good pilot. Um, that's coming in the mid-season. That's, that's uh, drama with a, a really fantastic cast. And um, and also the, the Blacklist pilot is pretty strong with James Spader. And I was very impressed by the Sean Saves the World pilot with Sean, uh, Sean Hayes. Did not expect to enjoy that one as much as I did. But uh, I, that's, that's where I, I will leave it. I didn't dislike every pilot, but... <laughs> there were there were a number of I was talking with my my family about it and the number of this is a procedural about fill in the blank with doctor lawyer cop and this main doctor lawyer cop doesn't play by the rules and they don't play well with others because they have a traumatic past incident like there's yeah it was really galling actually the the number of shows that fit into that really basic mold but um and that's why Lissai. i was talking cliches with dan amanda kyle and bruce because it was driving me crazy uh we have a pretty light week in tv but we have a nice segment at the end here coming up with josh spiegel where we're gonna talk arrested development season four it's been out for two days and we've seen it all we the beauty of all half hour seen shows it all. <laughs> yay um, so that'll be coming at the end of the show. But first, let's get into our week in TV. And there aren't enough shows for us to do the four-segment thing again. So we're just going to put together comedy and reality and then and then drama after that. So, so we'll be right back with our week in comedy and reality. Easy, easy, though. That's just how you live. Oh, take, take, take it all. But you never give. Should have known you was trouble. From the first kiss had your eyes wide open What were they open? Gave you all I had and you tossed it in the trash Tossed it in the trash you did To give me all your love is all I ever asked Cause what you don't understand is I catch a grenade That was Michelle Shamuel singing on The Voice this week. And this week for our week in comedy and reality, we have the Save Me pilot, The Book of Beth, and Inside Amy Schumer, The Horror, as well as So You Think You Can Dance and The Voice. So I'll start things off with the Save Me pilot. I should have reviewed this actually last week because I got to see it early. I actually enjoyed this pilot. I think Anne Heche is really good. I think this the the overall cast is, is uh, a lot of fun and work really well together. I'm not seeing a lot of really positive reviews, which has surprised me because I actually was very pleasantly surprised by this one. Um, I, I did because I had already seen the pilot. I forgot that it was on because uh, I wasn't looking for it and I didn't realize that I had missed the second episode. But I, I'm interested in checking in with a few more of these. It, the show's dead on arrival. I really don't think it's going to come back. But I did enjoy the first episode. So I think people should give it a shot. If you're looking, you know, there's not that much on right now and it's certainly better than goodwin games so if you're looking for comedies right now i would say check it out i think having not seen it uh you're if, if you th think it's it's okay i'm sure it's it's decent 
But I, I do think people are less willing to give a show a shot when they know it's not going anywhere. And I think they even resent the fact that they're reviewing a show that they know isn't going anywhere. That's very possible. Um, but yeah, but given the amount of viewers tuning into very mediocre to just very bad shows throughout the actual network season, sh- tuning in for something like Save Me, I was laughing when I watched it. I, I enjoyed the pilot. So, and in pilots, comedy pilots, as we've been watching a bunch of them for, for our monthly theme, comedy pilots are really hard uh, to for them to be successful. And often even a really great show will have a crappy pilot if it's a comedy. So the fact that this has a solid pilot is uh, a really positive sign as far as I'm concerned. So I'm going to check in and I'll let you know. I'll let you know next week. Um, that takes us to Inside Amy Schumer, The Horror. As with any sketch show, there's usually a hit to miss ratio. Was this one more hit or miss? This one, I think, of the four episodes is the one that veered the wildest from hit to miss for me. I think any, uh, you know, it was it was interesting that this was the first time that the uh, stand-up bit sort of had a single through line, which I think was a good move. Honestly, whenever she does a dick joke, it's fantastic. Whenever she does a fart joke, it's awful. I think that's, for me, the very the very simple dichotomy of this episode. Yes, I did not particularly enjoy the the I fart when I'm scared horror sequence we got in the middle. I did, however, love the bad dream and happy dream <laughs> sequence. Yes, that was that was great. And I, and oh. actually the the stand-up bits and that came right at the beginning and I thought, "Oh my god, this is going to be the best one yet." And then uh, Unfortunately. we got that we that was a really unfortunate thing that it was almost like, it was almost like an anti-joke sketch where she knows how bad a joke it is or not even a joke really and she stretches it out for what seems like an eternity and it should be funny but it just didn't work for me at all. And the um the other sort of uh, scripted sketch with the guy who's in love with her perm was okay like again but like really just stretched out a very thin premise way too long. I was not a particular fan of how that one ended with random vomit I was like, okay, I guess I see what you're doing, but it didn't work for me in the way I think it was supposed to. So I find it interesting which forms of <laughs> of bodily reactions to stuff work on this show for me and which ones don't. And so farting and vomiting, not funny to me, uh, at least so far on Amy Schumer. Right, but, but big dick jokes, always funny. Always funny. Always funny. We also had our, our Week in Reality, and you watched So You Think You Can Dance, or at least got the highlight reel. What did you think? Uh, it it was, uh, you know, adorable and fun. And yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I'm kind of anxious to get to the actual uh, show, because I feel like I've just been inundated with... with I, I'm going to have a really hard time telling all the pretty white girls apart, frankly. Yeah, there's certainly... Uh, I thought it was entertaining when they had the one dancer and they said, you're so, so you think you can dance? Because <laughs> that really, really do have a type uh, that they tend to spend more time on. I did... I, I enjoyed the these auditions that I'm still... I don't need the actual show to start yet because I'm still really enjoying the auditions. And I know we have a couple more weeks, at least, of auditions, just so you know. But uh, <laughs> I, I did really enjoy the, especially the second Bone Breaker. I had never even heard of that before. And, oh, God, just dislocating your shoulder just because I was with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I needed a drink after watching that. Yeah, that that made three of us. Or or probably four with Mary. The second one I thought was, the guy who did that I thought was much better. And because he incorporated 
those moves into a more fluid piece. Whereas the first guy I felt like was like slowing down and going, hey, look what I can do. It's going to gross you out. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I think that's why the first one really didn't end up making it. But uh, yeah, I mean, whenever I see people who can do things like that, I I think that's cool. But I really wonder how you're going to be doing in 15, 20 years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I imagine the doctors watching the show are just kind of, oh, no, undo it. Don't. You're not. That's not meant to do that. It's really not supposed to be that way. I also really loved the the kids. I thought they were adorable. And I'm all for seeing some stuff like that every now and again. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the four-year-old doing the Cyrus thing and then the, the, the family of exorcists. That was the first one that, though, felt like a bit of an inside job where we didn't actually see either of the parents do their audition, but they made it to Vegas. And so it didn't feel like they even really made them audition. They just said, we like you, exorcist guy, so you, you're, we're going to let you through to Vegas because we know you're amazing. And your wife can go through too, even though we haven't seen her and you in America hasn't seen I don't, I don't know. Did you? Did that bother you? Yeah, little? that that whole thing struck me as very strange that they all got tickets. It would have been oh, fine if just he'd gotten one because he was clearly the contestant. I don't know. I found that whole thing very confusing. Well, she had a number on too, though. She was auditioning as well. Oh, did she? Okay, yeah. w- okay, we didn't. The daughter, see it. obviously, not because of the age limit. Uh, right. Eighteen. I was confused that she that she got a ticket to Vegas, but the other four year old didn't. <laughs> the other four year old got a ticket to Disney. I think. I think Which the... I I thought that was kind of lame. Like, couldn't they at least give him a ticket to something dance related? Well, I thought it was cute. He's a four year old. I mean, how many dance shows are there going to be out there that four year olds are going to want to sit through? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just I, I I never got the appeal of Disneyland, I guess. Yeah, I've never been. I've and I've never felt compelled to go either, which I know just I tell certain people and their face just falls. It just they get sad for me that I've never been to Disneyland. Really? Grow up people. Even as a kid I thought that stuff was lame. I'd much rather go over to Six Flags and jump on a on a Raging Bull a few times than go to Disney Disneyland but uh or Disney World or any of the various places. But uh, I guess Going to Harry Potter World could be cool. But other than that, I don't know. Let's see. We also have The Voice, and we're down to the top eight this week. I thought America did, you know, kicked off the right kind of people. I, I, I would have, I guess, kept Josiah for another week. But, Chris, I was very glad to see go. This week, uh, they need to send home Danielle because she can't sing in tune yet. And that's not really her fault. She's 16. Her voice is just barely matured into what it is going to be when she's a fully fledged adult, but she's not going to get kicked off. I'm sure because she has a fan base and the show seems very dedicated to making sure she's a success, which is frustrating to me because she's not ready for it. And it's not a good thing for her as a musician or as a vocalist or as somebody who theoretically wants to have a career in this industry to just get huge success when she is not fully formed as a singer yet. Anyways, she deserves to go home because she's not singing in tune well enough. And I would also this week send home Amber. I know everybody seems to have loved her rendition of Skyfall, but uh, but really she just she came into her own towards the end of the piece a bit more. The opening was actually really great because it very very much suited her voice. But when she had to start belting, it just sounded like karaoke, good karaoke, but it 
she was she was slightly low flat she had she did not have a great sound or tone um on those long notes and you know when she came back to the second you know let the sky fall let it crumble that whole thing when she came back the second time it was more confident and and she looked fabulous and she really did pull off the attitude of it but no she she um that did not work very well for me so i guess i would i would send so I would send Amber home this this week based on that performance. But um, I thought a lot of the song choices were really good. What I really enjoy about somebody like Michelle Januel, who did Grenade this week, is that she's always completely in the emotion of the song. And that's something that when I'm watching her or watching Judith and then I watch some of these other singers, they're not getting the same way you know like there there have been a number of singers who've been singing really intense or sad songs and and they have a smile on their face and that's that should never happen <laughs> so uh watching um watching her get to the end of her song and that's why I, I i had issues with almost every performance either it wasn't a great song to start with and they did a good job but why that song or it was a really good song for them but it didn't quite land in a, for a couple reasons but that's why i picked michelle to play at the beginning of the segment because you know she's she keeps that intensity and that anger through to the very last second that the spotlight's on her of her performance and when you compare that to to just sort of the stand and sing that somebody like Danielle is doing, it just there's there's no comparison. Um, so, I actually really liked a lot of the the notes from the coaches within the their coaching sessions, not at you know live. Those comments are useless, but um, but I did actually like a lot of them about the theatricality of Skyfall, about the um, the the vulnerability and anger of of Grenade, about some of these other things, and so I, I think they just have a really strong batch of singers this year. And so that that's made sort of everybody kind of blend into each other. Unless somebody has an amazing breakout moment in a given week, they're just, it's just kind of yeah. Mostly they're all very good, which I guess is a good place to be in. Yeah, that that's sounds like well, I mean, sounds like there are worse places to be. But uh, yeah, that's who I would send home this week, um, Danielle and and Amber. I'd also be okay with Sarah goes home because I'm not a big fan of her voice, but the song choice was so perfect for her that I can't pick her to go home this week as much as uh, you know, I, I get frustrated by her tuning issues, but let's uh, with that long rambling discussion of the voice, let's take a, a quick break, listen to a clip and come back and talk about our weekend drama. So you killed Joel Summers just so you'd be caught. Not just, I killed Joel Summers because he was never meant to be. What reason did you have to kill the others? I had every reason to kill the others. They just had no reason to die. They never saw me coming unless I wanted them to see me coming. I could wave at a lady and smile, chew the fat with her in church, knowing I killed her husband. There is something beautiful about that ball of silence at a funeral. All those people around you knowing that you made it happen. This week for dramas, we have the pilot to Motive, which actually previewed on last Monday. So I guess it should have been a last show, um, but we're catching up with it now. The finale for Nashville, Make Kate Watch, The Longmire season two premiere, Hannibal, 
uh, Trial of Normand, Behind the Candelabra, and Mad Men, The Better Half. So I'll kick it off with the motive pilot, Creeping Tom. I'm just going to assume you didn't watch this. Yes? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was surprised to enjoy this pilot much more than I expected. I actually like the main cops quite a bit. It's lovely to see a female lead who isn't... uh, model gorgeous she's she's very she's very pretty she's you know obviously she's she seems to be a a good choice for for the lead of the show but it just they, they're always such tiny small frame very delicate looking women that get cast to play cops and i never believe it so she at least looks like if she wanted to she'd be happy to kick your ass and i very much appreciate that from Especially a character who's supposed to be larger personality, more more uh, likely to get into a fight or something. I always appreciate that kind of casting. I was yeah, I I liked the the central figure. Um, I can't don't have the actor's name in front of me, but he played Samandriel Samandriel on Supernatural this season, and I very much enjoyed him on Supernatural. I liked him here. Um, I very much hope to see more of him on my TV in the future. The main trouble with this pilot is that you find out who they show you a picture and say the killer, and then they show you the the um, the victim and they say the victim, and then the whole thing is but why? And the the way that it's structured, I mean, at a certain point, the cops aren't always going to find the motive. There isn't always going to be a motive, and I really doubt that there are enough different motives to make that work. On a, on a week-to-week basis. Also, I like that just the general format of this general format. I liked it better when it was Law & Order Criminal Intent with Vincent D'Onofrio. So the notion that this is a completely new idea, it's it's not. Yeah, it also sounds a little bit like Cold Case, to be honest. Yes, except these cases aren't cold. But yes, that's... <laughs> but in, in terms of the, the way basic. like like that show really, really delved for better or worse, usually worse, into the stories of the perps themselves. Yeah. And and I didn't expect it to be, to, to follow as concurrently, like the the way it kind of plays with flashbacks, like within the, the, the episode I thought was actually pretty deft and very easy to follow. So I thought that actually was, was pretty cool. But yeah, I, I'm not going to really check back in, I don't think, unless I'm, you know, if, it, if I'm bored or looking for something to watch and it's on, I will happily watch it. It's not like it pissed me off or anything. It did not annoy me anywhere near as much as the batch of of procedurals that are coming for us in the fall, for the most part. But uh, but no, I also, I guess I don't see the necessity of it. So we'll we'll see if I check back in in a couple weeks when there's nothing else on. Um, I'll move on to the Nashville finale. I'll never get out of this world alive. Um, basically, I watched this with my dad, so I'm talking about it, <laughs> or I wouldn't have watched it. And a, yeah, a couple people did vote for it, and the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll. And the thing that is very interesting for me about Nashville is that every now and again, they have these scenes that are fantastic and very naturalistic and very interesting and we get one of those in this finale when we and and they almost always by the way involve connie Britton because she's amazing and we get one of those this this episode with the the daughter of connie Britton and eric close's characters finds out that even though 
she was raised her her whole life by Eric Close. Her biological father is this other person. And she finds this out and she says she's freaking out. And so we get this phone call between Connie Britton and Eric Close where it's just where they're, you know, she, she, she calls him and says, our daughter knows she's freaking out. Um, and the, their relationship is strained. They're get, they've just gotten separated or divorced and they start to, you know, get like, you told her, how could you have, there's a fight. But then Connie Britton says right now, I need a partner in this. Our daughter is hurting. And, and he immediately he's like, no, of course I'll be there. And they put their bullshit aside to be good parents. Cause that's what anybody would do <laughs> in real life. You put your bullshit aside to help your kids and, and just the, the, the setting aside of drama in favor of, of family or favor of a true reaction, a very honest reaction from parents is something that I really appreciate. And then elsewhere in the episode, you have a character falling off the wagon after 13 years for, for no reason for a completely unbelievable, completely unbelievable reason. And it's, it's absolutely false and manufactured and unearned and incredibly annoying. And so I, it really boggles the mind for me that you have moments that feel so honest and true and, and real, like I'm talking Friday night lights level of real. And then you have moments that are so completely contrived that I'm just yelling at my television. Can you, have you watched any shows that do both of those? Uh, it's happened. I I feel like that was a thing in like, especially I would say the first season of Glee, like where they would occasionally have like spectacular stuff and then, oh, just so much bullshit around it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is true. The scenes with, um, Kurt and Bert were always just these shining gems of amazingness. Um, but yeah, so, so I just, I don't know that I'm going to watch, I don't, I, I just sort of dip in and out of Nashville. Um, and and we'll see if I come back to it next season. It it did get renewed, but w- when I see show that a show like this is capable of such a lovely, honest relationship or or scene or just interaction like like we see with that in that moment in the finale, and then they don't care to extend that to the rest of their show, I get really frustrated. You could be really good. Just live up to your potential. Right. But people might might not actually tune into that show, you know? That's that's unfortunately very true. But let's move on to the winner of the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll, which was the season two premiere of Longmire, Unquiet Mind. Now, I haven't seen any Longmire, not even the pilot. H- have you seen any Longmire? Nope. It's one. Of, I'm, I'm sure for both of us, it's one of those, I should check that out sometime, and then just never did, and then <laughs> use this as an excuse. Yeah, right? basically, okay. uh, Katie Sackhoff is in a new show. I should check that out. And it's a Western. But uh, anyway, so what did you think? Eh, uh, I wanted to like this more. Um, I think there was a few problems. Uh, first of all, I mean, every, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that every good scene in this episode has Katie Sackhoff in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's an immediate problem because she's clearly a supporting player mm-hmm. uh, in every sense of the word. So that's a little bit disappointing. I I didn't find our our lead or lead character all that interesting. I think the whole notion of the talking to people who aren't there almost never works as a plot device. I don't know why it's ha- I'm sure there's some plot related or character related reasoning reasoning for it that well, we don't get in this episode. He has hypothermia and is, you know, 
hallucinating. That's what I took from it, at least. Uh, the, the way it's used here, the Killer of the Week even says, you you hear voices, don't you? And we, Which apparently he does, which I don't know why that's happening. It's not explained this week. I assume there's a reason for it, given in the previous season. Yeah, and but let, either us, way, let us know, please. I'm very curious about this. But in the context of the episode, I thought it was so hokey. And I don't know, I, I really just couldn't escape the feel that it was just justified light, really. Yeah, I... I... I agree that I wanted to like it more. I didn't dislike it. Um, I just, I'm not as engaged by the lead. And maybe if I had a stronger relationship with that character from the first season, his scenes would mean more to me in this. When he's, you know, in, in is he going to freeze to death, basically, in, in this episode? Yeah, and that's a real, that's a real threat. <laughs> the, but the, I, the hint, the hint is in the name of the show. <laughs> as yeah, to whether and or not that, he's going to freeze to death. Yeah, he's not obviously he's not going to freeze to death on his own show. But the the point remains that yes, the scenes with Katie Sackoff are just for the most part better than the scenes without her. I actually really like it would be very easy for her character to feel like Starbuck again, and she doesn't to me. I'm curious what you think about that. It, it feels like another tough girl, but but just her and she she punches out a superior officer in this but she does feel she feels like a different person to me well i think the the key difference is starbuck would have punched out that guy and she just punches him yeah and, and starbuck uh, would have been drunk and starbuck would not have apologized and starbuck would not have left when ordered to leave and and etc cetera, etc cetera. but i i don't know it's just the the whole the whole structure of the show and the fact that he's a a, a, a hatted lawman in an era of people who don't generally do that, um, and some of the scoring and the and and the the whole the the fact that that they're volunteering to do prisoner transport, et cetera, et cetera, all of it just made me wish I was watching a new episode of Justified, which isn't really fair, but it is true. I did really like the visuals, though. I like the the incorporation of the Native American characters. I think is interesting and something that is nowhere else on television. Um, I like, I mean, I very much enjoyed Lee Diamond Phillips. So maybe an episode that had more of him would be more engaging to me. Um, and uh, I do, you know, I, I'm not, it's kind of similar with motive. I think this is a better show maybe than motive. Motive is flashier and, and more fun, but this seems like it's a better show, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, this doesn't feel like appointment viewing for me. I guess I could see getting sucked into it, though. Maybe I, I I do feel like at least on the on the basis of this episode that the lead is 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 the major problem from that that and the I feel like the show really needs more humor, like mm -hmm. the like that one moment that Sackoff gets where she's like, ah, damn it, when she realizes <laughs> that like that was that's easily the best moment of the whole episode, and it 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 I think that means something. Uh, I should also mention that if you're a fan of of uh, snowbound westerns, which there aren't that many of. Mm -hmm. uh, do check out uh, Sergio Cobrucci's The Great Silence from, I want to say, the 70s. Uh, yeah, that's a great movie. But mostly, why is Katie Sackhoff just not a huge and ginormous star? Because she's so damn good. That's my takeaway. Yeah. I, 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 uh, frankly, I don't think the show would have the following it does without her. I really don't think it would. Yeah. Way less interesting than our next show, which is Hannibal and Trau Normand. Lance Hendrickson, right? Lance Ma Fa Henriksen. 
holy crap, uh, that ruled. I, I, I really wish they'd found a way to not put him in the credits. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that would have been awesome. Uh, the rest of the episode was fine. The totem, honestly, I thought was a bit much, though. Oh, I thought that visual really worked. Especially the, the arms, the three arms and the one extra long arm. I thought that really worked. I mean, the visual was cool, but like at, at a certain point, I wonder if they're going to be able to keep ramping up the weirdness and like is I, I don't know it's just it, it it feels like there's gonna have to be a ceiling at some point yeah i'd imagine uh we'll see what happens with it though they've they've just when i think they can't do something weirder than i, I don't think this tops the the vocal cord <laughs> cello strings but you know when you think that they they can't possibly do that they beat that they do something else that's interesting and and very different I, I also like that we get more Carolyn Davernas this week. I thought she was very good. And, um, yeah, I, though I, you know what I'd like to see? A little bit more Gina Torres. I'd like to see more Jack um, in the in the coming episodes. We'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. They seem more focused on, on Hannibal at the moment and Will's deteriorating state. But I'm still really enjoying the, the season and I, I I'm feeling it's it's been so consistent. I have a feeling this is going to be just week after week of really consistent, solid, uh, gross but gorgeous television. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they're exploring Hannibal's tenderer side. I guess you might want to say it, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I wish that again. I, I have to bring up the the prequel issue. I I wish that we had an indication that they were just going to maybe take that character in a whole different direction than what we're expecting, but that's clearly not going to happen. See, so. I have no trouble separating this in my mind from Silence of the Lambs or the other things. You know, like I I have no uh, sense of, oh, but we know this isn't going to happen because we know it's going to get caught later. Like, when I'm watching, I'm just completely engaged. That sounds like it's not the case for you? Um, It, it is and it isn't. Like, I, I guess it's just... My my interest level in everything except Hannibal is higher, I guess, because of what we know will happen. Okay, and that's why where I think it's really succeeded by making Will that central character. I I do feel like they can't have him completely melt down because the show wouldn't work without him. So I guess I'm just looking forward to when that plotline reaches its you know its peak or whatever they're doing with it, and then can come back because. I, the show, I, like I said, I don't think the show works without Will as its central character. And if he's just, he can't get much more emotionally unstable, right? Well, well I guess we'll have to see. I, I do think Hugh Dancy's been doing a fantastic job. And I, I think you're, you're right, the show doesn't work without him, or at least not without that character. And, you know, we assuming that the show continues, which at this point it's a total toss-up as to whether that'll happen... He is going to see a whole lot more ugliness and nastiness and and horrible, surreal, brutal stuff every week. So it's they're going to have to really turn a corner with him for it to be believable that yeah. he's still in this working in this capacity. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's just so funny to think before the show, I always just associated Hugh Dancy with those um, uh, pretty boy nothing parts that he kept getting cast with. Thinking back to something like uh, Ellen Enchanted, isn't he the prince in that? That sounds about right. Fantastic book, just just wrongness of a movie, um, and so it's it's. I'm always so wonderfully surprised when somebody that I had before sort of written off based on what I'd seen them in is given a chance to really shine and to prove themselves as an actor. So that's been he's been a wonderful discovery. 
uh, let's move on to Behind the Candelabra, the HBO movie, which is also at Cannes right now. We have uh, Steven Soderbergh directing, starring Michael Douglas and Matt Damon. Did you know much about this story going into the movie? Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I knew of Liberace, and uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Soderbergh filmography, but you know, I, this, the biographical details of the of the story weren't that familiar to me. I, wa- I wish I hadn't read, but I did that the the fellow the, the the scott character that matt damon is playing when the events of this story actually took place he was 18 mm-hmm. at the beginning and so i think he was 24 when liberace died so yeah that was a bit of a stretch to have damon playing that role i mean i'm assuming that he signed on a because he and soderbergh are tight and b because they wanted Star Wattage to help it get a theatrical release, which didn't end up mattering because apparently the movie was too gay for Hollywood. <laughs> which, come the fuck on, people, really? Yeah, well, and also it's a good role, and he does a really good job in it. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting role. And so I, I don't blame uh, Damon for taking it, but that's more on Soderbergh for cast for casting him and I think he also it was important if you're gonna have Michael Douglas it's important to have somebody who can match his presence on screen as as the other part of that um and I actually thought they did a really good job of aging down Matt Damon not to 18 but uh but yeah no I you're right he's he's 42 and uh he he, does not look 42 he does not look 42 which is partially because he's Matt Damon and partially because yes they they, they did quite from what I understand they did quite a bit of CGI work on both actors yeah age de-age you know uh, approximate the um plastic surgery work being done etc etc and that stuff was all incredibly impressive incredibly creepy too oh god oh man can we talk uh, a little bit i know we'll talk more about damon we'll talk more about michael douglas but can we talk about rob lowe for a second yes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah he kind of kills it here and uh, although he does it by not moving his face really at all there's a lot of interesting counterintuitive casting in the movie i, I really really liked uh, dan Aykroyd, who mm-hmm. i can't remember seeing in a role like this at least in a very long time yeah, also uh, Scott Bakula in his brief role. I mean, all of the casting I did very much enjoy. Rob Lowe, yes, he's not moving his face a, a lot because he can't because the character's skin in the book that this is based on is described as, as stretched incredibly tight and shiny. <laughs> uh, and in, But just the, the, the expressions that he's doing, I mean, there's a lot of acting going on underneath the whatever they did to his face and it's just hilarious like his timing and just it's just his physicality he's just hilarious in this yeah he's he's uh he's a, he's he's a more interesting actor than he often gets credit for and I, I do think he's very i mean the soderbergh is is good at eliciting unique performances from people you wouldn't necessarily expect and also from non-actors uh, which is a thing in many of his other films that being said, I mean, I think the movie as a whole, I don't think is as interesting as some of his other recent work. I mean, this is supposed to be his last film uh, or his last feature length thing that he's doing. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably he didn't plan for it to be on television, but so it goes. After this, I assume he's going to go back to working. It, or rather, he's already signed on to uh, do some sort of episodic thing like he did with K Street, which I really need to watch based on who's in it and who worked on it. But it really it felt like a slightly subversive or Soderbergh guy's take on a pretty standard biopic format, 
um, with really, really good acting and great production values, which is, you know, there are way worse things to be. Yeah, let's talk a little. Uh, the other one I have to mention, Cheyenne Jackson at the beginning is so amazing <laughs> as the, uh, the, the pre-Scott, as it were. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my God. So good. He does so much. I don't think he even has a single line of dialogue. Uh, maybe he has a couple, but he's so good in, in those scenes. And let's talk a little bit about Michael Douglas. Uh, his performance, I think, he just, he sells. It's it's such an interesting portrayal of, of Liberace, both in the writing and the direction and also the performance, because I think the whole team does a really good job of capturing the warmth of, of the character, but also just how fucked up <laughs> he is. I love the... The implications about Liberace just sort of as a reproduction of, of his mother that we get um, just by the, the showing of the portraits side by side. You see the portrait of his mother and then you see the portrait of, of Liberace and you realize they have kind of the same haircut and the same outfit and mm -hmm. some of this other stuff. I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was a very interesting portrayal because it doesn't it does not shy away from how predatory and creepy as hell um, he is, but it also conveys that there is, there was a real emotional connection for Liberace to Scott. Well, there's an ambiguity there because how much of what is messed up about what Liberace does, like how much of that is endemic to his character and how much is just a product of excess and, and, and excess and access to every possible thing you could want. You know, you can change your body. You can change, um, you can change your, you know, you can have everything you could ever possibly want. And then a hundred more of each one of those things. Um, you know, what does that do to a person? And, mm -hmm. you know, is, can, would anyone's character really survive yeah. or, 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 or flourish in any healthy way in that environment? And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure the movie really wants to blame Liberace for for what he did. I, I I think one of the strengths of Soderbergh is that he's very good at playing neutral and uh, not really taking a a clear stance where other movies might might use something like this to drive home a thesis, which I don't really think it does. Well, and what I thought was interesting is when I was watching this, uh, one of the people I watched it with walked away saying, "It's interesting how much you get a sense of that there's a real affection." Uh, for Liberace, and then one of the other people I watched it with uh, said that, "Oh, he, he's such such a creep. He's such he's so terrible." So I thought that it was really interesting to see the different things that viewers can take away from this performance, and that it's not just a simple story. No, it's not. Although I will say, not as much graphic gay sex as I was expecting. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed. I loved at the very beginning. Uh, when when you have Scott Bakula and Matt Damon watching Liberace and and they say it's amazing that uh, this audience is you know supportive you know they're they're enjoying something that's so gay and Bakula goes oh they don't know he's gay <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah what <laughs> just, <laughs> the, I love that it's such a bit of meta commentary for the modern audience and it was just hilarious and like, listening to the the excerpt from Liberace's book about his various girlfriends in the past were just like, oh, honey, really? People bought that? Both literally and figuratively? It was a different time. I suppose. I suppose so. Um, shall we move? Oh, but we would, I mean, I would recommend people watch it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you have any interest in the subject matter or in, I, I, you know, if you like a good biopic, this is, I think, a strong one. I, I guess I was hoping for something a little bit more daring and, and not just in the sense that I mentioned, but also uh, formally, structurally. Um, I, I could have gone for something a little bit more, um, I guess, a little bit more daring along the lines of stuff Soderbergh has done before. But I think as a fairly conventional biopic, I think it does its job quite well. Yeah, and it is, it is astonishing to me that Steven Soderbergh, director of Ocean's Eleven, cannot get a movie with Michael Douglas and Matt Damon about one of the most you know well known and popular and perhaps controversial figures in pop culture of the past you know fifty years. Can't get that movie released in in theaters in America. Nope. Yeah. No. You, he can get it in competition at Con, but he can't. Uh... And this, also, someone can correct me on this, but this has to be the first time that a con competition film makes its American debut on television and not in a movie theater. I guess that's where we're at with, uh, the, with, with the cinema right now. But let's move on to Mad Men and The Better Half. This, is, uh, this has got to be one of the strongest episodes we've had in a while. I, I would place it you know, with The Crash, which we spotlit last week and we really liked. But I also really liked this episode. And um, Tom and Lorenzo must be rubbing off on me because when we saw Peggy in her polka dot blouse up against that, that patterned wallpaper i was just spent the whole uh the whole scene thinking oh man that is there's wrongness happening right now right yeah her uh her polka dots but also her her striped uh was it a tie the i yeah. i just just the wallpaper and her shirt i couldn't like it was just i could i couldn't handle it it was a lot yeah. there was a lot of really great peggy stuff i've been missing her and it was great to have her back same thing with betty yeah and you know i i'm a betty stan uh, I always have been, and I think for me this this was this was like a. You said a, a I'm a Betty pick. Stan. Yes. You said I'm a Betty Stan. I did. Yes. Is that a, is that that's intentional? That's that's intentional. What does that What does that mean? It's like, <laughs> God, there's a whole etymology behind this that I won't. I anyway. assumed you meant Betty Fan. No, uh, well, Stan is like a combination of stalker and fan. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, yeah. I'm learning things. Please continue. There you go. I don't know how how popular that, that that usage is, but it is in use in some places. Anyway, I love Betty. I think she's fantastic. I've always thought so, even when there have been huge portions of the show where no one likes her scenes at all. Mm-hmm. I've always liked Betty. So for me to have an episode where everyone likes Betty is bittersweet. But um, <laughs> she, I don't think there's any disputing that she was awesome in this episode. Uh, th- th- there is a silent competition that exists between exes, whether or not it's, it's usually not addressed openly. Uh, here it is very much so. And although it's tender, but it's still very much, uh, it's, it's still very much about competition and, and it's about winning. And Betty is so obviously winning. <laughs> um, you know, she, she gets what she wants from, from Don and doesn't feel any of the ill effects from being around Don. So she's sort of, She's figured out how to live in the world of Mad Men, basically. Well, and it's just great to see, because that's one of the things I really have enjoyed this season and this episode. And I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast the past few weeks with Peggy at work, because she knows Don and calls him on his bullshit and sees right through the facade. And it's great to have that reflected in his private life this week with Betty and uh, the contrast of those two characters this week I find very interesting. And and also just, you know, she she knows this man and she knows him so very well. And it's nice to see 
the writers separate her out from her her bullshit and honestly the 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 not very good writing for her uh, just making her constantly a shrew to see that there is a person there and there is a person who was hurt by him but who also in one sense she knows him better than anyone at this point yeah um yeah that's that's certainly true that's definitely true i was thinking about me and i was like no wait never mind uh you know yeah. megan knows some things i guess but not not everything clearly uh, well, she, megan she doesn't... knows his knows about dick whitman she knows you know he that's i remember when we first found that out it was like oh he's actually gonna try this time and apparently not <laughs> yeah no he 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 made a he, you know one step forward many many steps back but um, I don't know. Every single moment of their scenes together was fantastic. And I, I think her expressing sympathy for Megan, I think, was a really beautiful moment. And I think one of the best little dramatic beats they've done all season. Uh, and, yeah, the, 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 the Peggy stuff was really good. Um, I'm, I, I really like Ted. I, I, what, what can I say? I mean, I, Ted's an I imagine, asshole. I, I like Ted. I don't no. know. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to like Ted this week. Are you, are you saying I that because he hurts you. Betty? Are you and saying that because he hurts Peggy's feelings? I'm saying that because he's a dick this week. He's like <laughs> you can't looking like that and leading me on. And like, no, you're a fucking asshole. That is all you. That is not her. And uh, you're blaming her for you doing a crap job at your job. And ah, oh, and then at the end, it's like, no, you, you bad, bad man. <laughs> I think I read those early scenes slightly differently. I mean, it's clear that there is something between them, and I don't think it's necessarily an easy thing to address. Shouldn't be there anymore. That's how I read that last scene. Uh, well, I, I think, he, you know, clearly he's made a conscious decision that it's not going to happen. And I think it's ultimately good for both of them, even if she doesn't necessarily see it that way at the time. Well, it's not about that. It's about him actively leading her on and saying... I love you. And her say, okay, this has come out of nowhere because we haven't talked about this. And okay. Has it and... really come out of nowhere, though? I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I love you. They kissed once. And they, yes, they, they have a, a, they had a good friendship, partnership, whatever you want to call it, working together. But they kissed once. And now he's saying that he loves her. That is out of the blue. And, that, that, that's a little bit much, yes. Well, and then to follow that that up with uh, with, with what he does in the last scene, where it's just like you've got you've got to be. I mean, I think that scene is shot from her perspective, so I yeah. think her, you know, his reaction may not be very indicative of what the character is actually feeling, or what you know how the character thinks they're expressing themselves, how Ted thinks he's expressing himself, but. I loved that last shot because it just it's her looking at the two of them going, son of a bitch, they're the same guy. <laughs> no, I'm not sure they are, though, because I, I you know, that clearly they're, they're they have similarities. But I think that Ted shutting that situation down, whether or not it's necessarily the best way to do so, is not necessarily. I feel like Don has he only knows how to make things worse and worse and worse until it just explodes. Whereas at least Ted has the good sense to be like, okay, I'm just going to put I'm, my foot down. And this I'm is gonna just going to shut this down in one of the more painful ways that I could possibly do. Yeah. I mean, clearly, clearly not very sensitive, hurtful. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Let's make but... sure that her heart, she's already had clearly had a really shitty day. Let's make sure it's even worse. 
Can I do that? Yes, I can. Well, I, I, I think there's comfort to be taken in the fact that Peggy will clearly move on. And hey, we finally got rid of him. Oh, God. If we can just uh, if we can just get, continue her progress till she is happily together with a more together himself, Stan, then. What, why do you think it's going to be Stan? I, I'm still rooting for uh, for Ginsburg. I like I like her relation rapport with Stan so much better. How many friends does she have? Has she ever had? Yeah, well, usually one at a time. If that, <laughs> if that, but no, I do, I do also enjoy Ginsburg. I think they're a little too similar for that to be uh, an effective relationship. I, I do agree. It was lovely for us to get rid of him. Uh, and uh, that's just the way that they wrote him out was hilarious and awful. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she's lucky he didn't press charges. He's lucky she didn't twist that's also true. <laughs> the way that he was breaking up. You're the enemy. It's like, they haven't got him to the hospital yet. He's not pumped full of drugs. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Like, the, the the sad thing is, I actually don't think he's a terrible person. Um, I just think that they were, they were just such a bad... breaking up that way? <laughs> wow, I'm just... I'm, in, I'm on the spot this week, aren't I? No, yeah, I you I, can I... break up with someone without telling them that they're the devil. Yeah, well, to be fair, he had just been literally stabbed in the gut. Yeah, because there's crazy shit going on, and he just, like, sneaks up behind her. Well, he did announce himself. Af- what? No, he, he didn't say, hey, what's going on? I see. I seem to recall he's, he said something, and it was identifiably his voice. But anyway, that's neither here okay. nor there. I, I, I don't think he's a bad person. I just think that they're clearly horribly mismatched and always have been, and I think that's what we've been reacting to the entire time. Yeah, and it's 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 a good call for for them, and it's just it's what a wonderfully memorable way to have that all fall apart. I'm sure we're gonna get a similar, uh, but less humorous uh, falling apart of of Don and and Megan later in the season. Um, Bobby was adorable this week. Nice to see him get something to do. Um, any final thoughts on the? Oh, we haven't talked about Bob Benson in his shorts. Bob Benson, yes, I love that we still have no idea what the hell is going on with that dude and no one can decide if he's a sociopath or just a nice guy and i liked it in the context of mad men there it's impossible to tell the difference because there are no nice people on mad men well and i do think that we did get one little detail this week that i assume is not a mistake in the the beginning of the season when he's talking with ken he says that his father is dead and this week he says that his that this nurse healed you know got his father back into health so Clearly, there's oh, something going on there. I didn't catch that. I thought that was interesting. Mostly, if he hurts Joni, we're all going to kill him, right? Yes, yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm not even sure he's capable at this point. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of want to root for the guy. I mean, he's James Wolk. He's awesome, and mm-hmm. I, I think it would just be hilarious if he was just a nice, misunderstood fellow. But I, I don't know. It's Mad Men, and I kind of feel like they can't help but do something more sinister with it. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I guess it is possible for this nurse to have gotten his father back into good health and then his dad got hit by a bus or something. Maybe. So do you think Roger was wrong for taking the four-year-old to Planet of the Apes? No! Kids should have nightmares. Nightmares are fun. Well, I thought that the the mom was clearly overreacting w- with that. Um, yeah, she just wanted an excuse to be angry with him, for sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, maybe four-year-old Planet of the Apes. Know your four-year-old <laughs> before you have them watch something like that. And obviously, there's a difference between a four-year-old and Bobby. 
slight difference there. But I also think, come on. I had a babysitter watching Leprechaun when I was, like, way too young. I don't even remember it. I'm sure it was scary at the time. But people, kids get over these things. They do. Yeah, that was absolutely... It's clear at this point that he's alienated his family so much and they relish any chance to rub his face in it. Yeah, I did feel bad for him uh, later with Joan, but I do think she's doing the right thing by trying to keep that, uh, keep the wall up there and, and keep everything ordered for her son. I think that is the responsible choice, as much as it does suck for, for Roger. Especially that it's with Bob Bunsen. <laughs> so what wins the week in drama for you? Uh, I would go with Mad Men. I mean, I I do think behind the candelabra is uh, is worthy, but uh, didn't blow me away. Yeah, but I really liked Hannibal. I really liked behind the candelabra, but I, I will also give it to Mad Men this week. It's it's so wonderful to have a Mad Men that I actually like and care about back on the air. Um, let's not jinx it. So knock on wood over here um let's take a break and come back with our spotlight on orphan black unconscious selection That was the theme song to Orphan Black, which is in our spotlight this week. The episode is Unconscious Selection, and it is the penultimate episode of season one. We've really enjoyed this season, and um, this, I, do you think this is the best episode? Would you give it to the the potluck with Allison? What do you think? I'd give it to this one. I think this had, this was the most fun. It had the best balance of character moments and action beats and just hilarity i mean uh, last week i was I, I i may have said out loud that i was looking forward to the intervention with allison and that just absolutely delivered in every way that i was hoping and i, I like that donnie was the one to to, to break it up because i I'm, I'm i'm rooting for those crazy kids <laughs> um if, if there's any hope left at this point but um yeah that everything to do with that was fantastic i uh I think I'm on record as as having Casima uh, and and Helena as being significantly less interesting than the other two uh, clones or not clones or whoever you want to you know put that. But I do think they've they've done legwork like, in improving both of them, and uh, especially with Casima and making sure that she's not just behaving like an idiot, which this week she really wasn't. That was good to see. Um, and the revelation about Helena at the end, I think, was uh, was well placed. And uh, I, th I think it came at the right time and it wasn't necessarily like the most shocking thing ever, but it does add a new wrinkle that makes their relationship more interesting. Yeah. And um, I, I just I thought the the getting what we got about Helena this week was very um, I won't I won't say overdue. I think it came at the right time, but it was necessary and did a lot to to really um, not quite character rehab her but to make her more compelling and and to, to make her more than just this crazy chick who's been killing people which she still is <laughs> but uh <laughs> but no we saw 
we've seen a lot more range from that character, I guess, in the past couple episodes, and I thought they did a really good job of continuing that here. I also really liked what we got with Cosima this week, and um, I... I I, I usually like Matt Frewer, but I just don't care about Leaky at all. And I don't know if that's performance or writing, but I do I do really like Delphine. And and so I think having more of her and less of him really helped with the Cosima stuff this, this week. Yeah, I think the show's one real weak spot so far is that the antagonists are kind of flimsy so far, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of characterization and in terms of their place in the plot. And, you know, we keep we just sort of keep going up the ladder. And I think it, it's interesting that this week we finally get a glimpse of another Maslani, we think. And, you know, she may or may not be the big bad. And, like, I, I like that it's going to take her possibly to solve the villain issue. Like, she's going to also do that. I feel like at the end at, at the end of the show, we're going to find out that she's secretly been playing every single character. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think that that's I think it, it's a good time to add another clone uh, mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the season um and I, i'll be interested to see like when the show continue i mean the show's been renewed thank god mm-hmm. um i'll be interested to see just how far they push that uh, as the show goes on slash if they're gonna have the cojones to start killing them off yeah oh man i don't even want to think about that imagine if they killed off allison Oh God! No, yeah, it would be it would be hard. I, it, it seems to me that at some point uh, Helen is going to be a goner, but yeah, um, but I, we'll see. I don't want any of them to go. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think uh, establishing this week that they are not actually genetically identical; that they each have a, a chunk of DNA that's specifically different, so they can be told apart. It was really interesting and, and very cool, and uh, I just think they just they've done such a fabulous job with the, their world and their structure. It's just so smart. And I really appreciate that. We, we always talk about Tatiana Maslany because she's fantastic. But we also got to talk about, about Jordan Gavaris, or Gavari, I don't know how you would pronounce that, as Felix. Because I think, I think Felix is such an important part to why this show works. And I would also put Maria Doyle Kennedy in there as uh, Mrs. S. Yeah, uh, for I mean, I think the way that they've evolved our perception of Mrs. S was really smart. You know, having her sort of be this obstacle or villain at, at first and then have us realize that, no, actually, she's pretty fucking awesome yeah. uh, was was a really smart move. That Sarah got it from somewhere. Yeah. And um, I think Felix is an interesting case. I, I think you're right. Uh, Gavari has been doing a fantastic job. I feel like it's, I, I think the problem with his character is that I feel like he needs a little bit more of his own life because it seems like now his entire life is just clone management, which, you know, that's also the case for certain other characters, but they're on the payroll and he's not. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know. I I, I think they could, I'm trying to think of a way that they could maybe broaden his role without sort of being a distraction and he's in a tricky position, but I do think he's done a fantastic job with, with the role of his scenes with Allison in the, in the intervention are just tremendous. And, uh, trying to think, I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling with other things to say. I mean, really the only, the only thorn in the show's side at this point is, uh, um, is what's his name? Who I think we're going to see again. Vic. Michael Mando as Vic. Yeah, from the next week on, I think that they're bring the, the what they've come up with to bring him back is actually really great and, and makes sense and will give us a lot of potential for fun. 
Um, and I'm glad that that's how he's going to be back. You know, if I don't know if he'll be back next season, but I, I like that. The, and I'm trying to remain vague for those who consider next week on spoilers. But um, yeah, I think that's a smart way to, to, to tie him back into the next episode. And we'll see whether that, you know, becomes a more recurring thing in the next season. I think that I really enjoyed what we got with Art this week and uh, watching him start to piece things together uh, was was really really entertaining this week and um just the way that they've kind of pieced out the parceled out the the revelation of the clones and what that means and all the, to each of the different characters over the course of the season has been really satisfying and really intelligent i just yeah. i keep i keep being impressed by how this show has been conceived and managed and, and and handled by the creators uh graham manson and john fawcett because it's complicated stuff to try to figure out like there's there's a lot they're, they're juggling a lot of mythology here but it's so easy to follow at the yes. same time and that's not that's that's a tricky thing to do yeah it's it's easy to follow and it's compelling yeah and i think that you, we, going back to art i i love that moment when you know they they meet up and you think that this is going to be a significant moment and then she clearly floats the idea of of telling just him saying, everything, saying, "I'm not Beth." Just nap, screw it. Just no. leaves. <laughs> Too much else going on right now. Yeah. Too much else. I'll deal with you later. You'll I'll get, I'll get you up to speed later. Yeah. Fantastic. So let's just hit up a few show notes here before we go to our season spotlight on Arrested Development Season 4 with Josh Spiegel from Masterpiece Cinema. Um, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You'll should, you can find a post up for this uh, episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us comments, let us know what you're thinking, let us know uh, what I should be including on the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll coming up in the next few weeks because they're are not very many options that I'm aware of. So please educate me about that. Um, you can, of course, leave us an, a rating or review in iTunes. We have an MP3 unchaptered feed as well as an M4A chaptered feed. We'd very much appreciate getting any reviews or ratings there because it does help other people find the show. Uh, we, you can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howell. Of course, we are also on Facebook, where you can like us to follow the different reviews that are going on at Sound on Sight right now. What should our question of the week be? Well, since uh, Arrested Development has been revived, I'd like to know, regardless of whether or not it's at all plausible, not interested in plausibility, because none of these things ever happen anyway, with this clear exception, what show would you like to see get a miracle season on Netflix or any other delivery device of your choice? Firefly. Deadwood. Come on, Deadwood. Five years ago. Firefly five years ago. What? Not now? Well, it's still now, but it's never going to happen. So if it's never going to happen, then I'd rather it never happened several years ago when, when the characters would have been closer in age to, to where they were. R yeah. Remember, plausibility is not an issue, folks. Yes. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Um, now we're going to take a break, listen to some music and a clip, and come back to talk Arrested Development Season 4 with Josh Spiegel of Masterpiece Cinema, Sound on Sight, and... Oh, so many other things. Excuse me? Hello? Dad! Oh my god. Oh, there is kind of a girl here. Didn't say it was your cousin. No, <laughs> Michael, Joe. Lindsay. George Michael? Lucille. Tobias Fuquay. George. Maybe. Buster. I really love you, Tobias. Oh, Lindsay. We've got to get you to that acting class. I just want my son to have a job where his incompetence won't be out of place. Well, that's not a great sign. 
love to help you. We like to pull together watch around here. No, you watch your back, mister. Oh, oh my God. I bet it's been a long time since you've seen your... Jerry. I have lupus. It's the this is the sign I've been waiting for. Good luck with your night terrors. Now no one will be there to hear your screams. Now with this car, you might get some stairs. I'm used to a bar with some stairs. Now the story of a family whose future was abruptly canceled. And the one son who had no choice but to keep himself together. It's Michael's Arrested Development. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week, we are skipping the DVD shelf in favor of a season spotlight. We're looking at Arrested Development Season 4. And here to help us with that is Josh Spiegel from Masterpiece Cinema and Sound on Sight and other lovely places as well. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Arrested Development Season 4 has been one of the most anticipated television or online events, I would say, of quite a while. I know there are many fans, myself included, who've been looking forward to the potential of, a, of another season for, for years now. All 15 episodes came out this Sunday in one big explosion of Mitch Hurwitz's goodness. What was what were your guys' thoughts? Thank you for watching them so quickly that we could be talking about them two <laughs> days later. <laughs> and um, yeah, what were your, I guess, what were your expectations and how did it turn out for you? First, I guess let's go to Josh. Well, let's see. On the one hand, I, I suppose my expectations were sky high because, you know, the first three seasons would be my pick for the best TV comedy ever. So I was expecting the best from this. But on the same, but on the other hand, it was, I don't know, I, I, I was so skeptical that this was even going to be a thing. I was expecting that I was going to wake up Sunday morning and go down to my, my PlayStation 3 and turn on Netflix and there'd be some kind of, you know, like e-card, like laughing at me for having been excited for this big event. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I was so doubtful that it was going to happen because there'd been so many false starts and so many little promises here and there over the last seven years that I, I suppose my expectations were also a little tempered. Uh, what I, I watched all 15 episodes on Sunday because I'm crazy and I was that excited and I wanted to watch it. On the whole, I guess I liked it. I think the more I think about it, the less impressed I am. Like I, the way I put it on Twitter was that after each season originally aired on Fox, I wanted to rewatch each of the seasons of Arrested Development. With this season, I think I'm supposed to. Like I feel like I have to rewatch it or else a lot of stuff is going to go over my head and not so much in terms of callbacks and inside jokes and references so much as pieces of the excessively intricate puzzle that was season four of Arrested Development. I think that's the real problem. The plotting here is ridiculous. It's ridiculously convoluted, and I'm fairly certain it doesn't need to be. You know, there are obviously a lot of different aspects that go into how this season looked. Production issues, budgetary issues, schedules, people, you know, people's schedules made it so, you know, Tony Hale as Buster gets one episode episode 14 out of 15 and that means that he's in about five minutes of the first 13 episodes and that's really distracting so i you know there's those things that can't be controlled but 
I liked it, but I have a lot of reservations. Yeah, I would uh, I, I would say it sounds like I'm a little more negative than you are on this one, Josh. But I'm, I'm on the whole, I'm pretty much where you are with it. I I would also have said Arrested Development was the best comedy ever made as far because this is just so satisfying. You rewatch it four or five times. Every time you watch it, you find something new. You find a new reason to laugh. You make connections that you realize that the the, the writers were having fun you know, seeding in seasons ahead of time that, that just make it such a rewarding show to, to really live in. And as far as this season is concerned, I watched the first seven episodes and then talked to my sister and she was really pissed off. I had started without her. So we started back over again and then and watched the whole thing. So I've seen the first seven episodes twice and the last eight episodes once. And the second time through these first seven episodes, I may have laughed single digits number of times total. So that is a problem. If the second time through watching some of these, you know, half of the season, I'm barely laughing out loud more than once or twice an episode. Um, I think that this season, while of course there is a lot of really great funny stuff in there, I think it shows a just sort of a misunderstanding of the real strengths of the series and and also a, f a focus on puzzle pieces, like you said, Josh, as opposed to characters in a way that that really was frustrating to me. Um, I have plenty more to say about my frustrations with some of the characterization here. But first, let's hear from Simon. Yes. Where do you fall on the spectrum? I, uh, I'm about in the same place as the two of you. Whether or not I'm more or less negative, I guess we'll have to see over the course of the half hour or so. I think they decided that with the scheduling they had, with you know getting Bateman on for the entire season, everyone else for varying amounts of time, it, w it was clearly decided at some point that the best way for them to handle it would be to do this Rashomon-style plotting where you have so much of the show taking place over this relatively short time span, but from differing perspectives. And I think it was ballsy, but I also think it was somewhat foolish. And I wish they'd thought of another solution, because I do think that's the source of a lot of the season's issues, although by no means all of them. I think the second biggest problem for me is the over-reliance on Ron Howard's narration, as well as perhaps the over-reliance on Ron Howard in general. But it, specifically, the narration feels like it's even more omnipresent than it was in those first three seasons, to the point where it's either walking over jokes or elaborating on jokes or explaining jokes to us in ways that are obnoxiously condescending. Even more so, given the fact that there's no way you can even follow any of what's going on unless you've seen the previous three seasons, so I don't really get the point of explaining things that we couldn't possibly understand any other way. So, yeah, th there's a lot of monotony I found in the narration that wasn't there before. And I think a lot of that has to do with them just having way too much freedom with the episode lengths. I mean, uh, the original run of Arrested Development, the episodes are all 21 minutes long, to my recollection. Yep. Here they run the gamut from, I think the shortest is probably run 26 minutes, all the way up to 30, 28. The shortest, yep. Seriously? All the wow. way out to like 36 minutes. 37. And <laughs> yeah, some, there you go. But yeah, and it it does not work for them, the, ex, the expanded length, for the most part. I think a couple episodes do a fine job. But I think that 
the you know it's it's a cliche but it's true art made under restriction is often better than art made without restriction and which is ironic an ironic complaint because clearly the scheduling was a huge restriction but i'm not sure that they handled that challenge as gracefully as they could that being said i i do think that of the 15 there are probably four or five really strong individual episodes there are some great moments even in episodes that aren't so strong and i do think it does pick up some momentum as it goes along i think that you can pretty reliably say the so-and-so episodes aren't as good as certain other characters episodes but maybe we should get into that a little bit later I absolutely agree about the episode lengths, and I absolutely agree about the underlining and highlighting and bolding and asterisking of of some of the jokes. Almost every time they use the 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 idea of showing half of a conversation in one episode and then several episodes later coming back from the other character's perspective of that duo and showing more of it, it really didn't work for me. I, I was very frustrated when the the scene from the first episode gets rewritten in a later Job episode, the Michael and Job scene at the house. And then when the George uh, Sr. scene with Michael gets rewritten about five times to add more, if you'll do this for me's, every time it was diminishing returns. And the most egregious of this for me was that obnoxious Michael and George Michael phone conversation, phone tag back and forth. I feel like they, in each of these cases, just they, because they could, they did. And the more is almost never funnier when it, when it uh, comes to comedy. It's the old Shakespeare line, brevity is the soul of wit. And that's something that the show always got right the first time through and really, really didn't this time. I, I think there are some extended gags and narration gags that do work. I think, for instance, in the George Michael episodes, I actually really liked the recurring gag of George Michael's inner, inner clock, his awkward <laughs> silence. and No. And, no, you no didn't like thing. that? I, oh, God, it was I, I, so I obnoxious. There you I go. Like I actually that. like those gags, but yeah. I, but I do think a lot of them didn't work. Interesting. Well, well, and those were ones that at least played off of our awareness of how the narration often means the actors are just kind of standing there. Because how many episodes have we seen where basically the actors have to look at each other, but they're not actually saying anything because Ron Howard's talking over them. That that Those jokes work. But yeah, I'll, I think I, it was funny. I was rewatching the first season a few days ago, and I, I was surprised that even then I felt like, wow, Ron Howard really was as much of a main character on this show to the point where he probably had more lines than anybody else, even on the original series. And he has far more dialogue than anybody else in these episodes. And yeah, the, you, you mentioned Kate, the, the Ron Howard presence in general. I, I really don't know what the point of that whole Michael has to get his family members to sign releases to be in a movie that Imagine Entertainment is going to produce. Maybe kind of sort of not really aside from just being a meta gag about, Hey, Maybe we will make a movie of Arrested Development someday if you all watch this season four and if some studio decides to pay for it. Well, there's there's a strong sense of if we can, we should to the to the whole enterprise this season. I mean, for instance, the way that not that I, I had a problem with it specifically, but, you know, when we get the George Michael episodes late in the season, there is there are some recurring gags where he's speaking Spanish. And the reason that's there is because he's been making films in Spain. And he can speak Spanish now. 
And like, you know, th- there are these decisions that were made because they can do it. I think the, the, that actually works fine. But, you know, the, the stuff with Imagine Entertainment, some of which is really funny. Like, I, I liked everything with their signage and their their feud with the Bruckheimer Tower. So there were some there were some decent jokes there, but it didn't really feel like it tied in in a, in a really compelling way for the most part. And there's a weird dated quality almost to the Imagine Entertainment stuff. Like, I, on the one hand, I like the sign gags, but at the same time, it was like, I feel like Imagine Entertainment and Jerry Bruckheimer's production company were on the top of the world a decade ago or 15 years ago. And now we're kind of rehashing it like they're still the biggest games, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, hitters in town, essentially. And I think part of the other issue was I was thinking to myself, because Michael's last episode, his last dedicated episode, even though I know he appears in every one of them, his second episode is the fourth of the 15. So it felt like that storyline kind of died really quickly. And I almost forgot about it existing until I remembered, right, Ron Howard's in a lot of this show outside of the narration, which was weird, I think. Well, and because of the whole dedicated character situation, you do have plot lines that crop up at the beginning and then by the end are totally gone. So that by in the last five episodes, we're not thinking about tobias and Lindsay's marriage at all yeah it was uh, it was strange to see the way that they not if they're going to use the structure i don't necessarily agree with it but the way they chose to divvy the episodes and especially the the order granted mitchowitz has said that there isn't necessarily a correct order to watch this in and when i realized that there wasn't a, a finale really at all that made more sense but the choice to have both Michael episodes at the beginning and both George, uh, George senior episodes at the beginning and then wait until the very end for maybe and George Michael and Buster. It, it did not work for me. I was watching those early episodes going, Oh, look, this character has just walked by. I think it's completely contrived that they're feeling they need to make everything so convoluted, but I am way more interested in what is going on with maybe right now or George Michael or even Lindsay than anything I'm seeing on this screen. So I kind of want to just fast forward to to the episodes or the characters whose storylines I'm, I'm more interested in. Was that just me? It was not just you. And I yeah. feel like the biggest victim is the, at least for me, was actually the Tobias stuff, which I mostly just found really really depressing as much as i love maria bamford and i thought she was great uh, as always i just having especially having those episodes happen relatively close to each other and also not having the input of too many other characters i just it, and especially with Lindsay out of the picture i just i found that stuff a little bit uh a little bit too far on the side of desperation which i think was sort of also a through line for the season in general which when you isolate these characters i think when you take away that that repartee that they have to some degree, I think it exposes just how awful they are as people. And that's not really a good look, I think, for the show, especially given that, you know, possibly, arguably, the two most sympathetic characters are maybe in George Michael. And again, their episodes happen late in the season and they get some shading that makes them somewhat less sympathetic which i'm not sure was a great move considering this season i think the balance of uh there's really not not even any attempt at the sentimentality and pathos that creeps in every once in a while in the first three seasons in really effective ways here there's virtually none of that yeah michael's the worst and he he was at least he was somewhat 
respectful and caring and trying as a father in the first three seasons. Yes, that they kind of walked away from that somewhat as the series progressed. They made him a worse father and far more similar to his siblings than he was in, say, the pilot. But I couldn't respect him in this in any to any extent. He seemed like just as much of a fuck up as everybody else. Excuse my language. And that didn't that didn't work for me when when we first meet him in, in that first episode flight of the phoenix and he's living with his son and being just that's a terrible roommate and a terrible friend let alone a terrible father and the fact that he never apologized for this never seems to learn any lesson and then george michael is apologizing later for having very rightfully expressed his need for boundaries is just incredibly frustrating to me not to mention the fact that george michael has his head up his butt for most of this and and maybe is a complete uh failure at everything and and then you tie that in with just the the creepiness of michael in his reaction his interactions with george michael especially with the isla fisher character i was really put off by the, the these the decisions that they made with where to jump in on these characters all these years later i didn't like any of them. The ones I liked the most were the ones who were in it the least. And I don't know if that's because I like them better or just because the writers didn't have as much of an opportunity to make me dislike them. If I may, I, I don't know that I'm going to say I, I disagree that he was creepy. I think that's the point. I think, and I'm not saying that it works, but I think that one theme that I saw, especially with the George Michael episodes, was that all of these people, the, the ones who aren't already incredibly venal and selfish and greedy the ones who try to fight it even people like Lindsay, who has always kind of been as selfish as her parents or well her i guess her adoptive parents as they are now you know the, the idea that she wanted to be the rebellious one now you know now she has kind of embraced that she is a bluth and then you see in george michael's episodes the idea that he is extremely adept at lying He's embraced the fact that he maybe isn't a good guy. And I think with Michael, Michael's always kind of been a terrible father. He's just been a much better father than anybody else on the show. And I think that as George Michael gets further away from him, he becomes worse because he becomes as clingy as his mother is towards her children. And I'm not saying that that inspires uh, enjoyable comedy or enjoyable television at all, but I think that that's... It seems like a very deliberate choice on Mitchell Hurwitz's part, along with the other writers, to make one of the themes of the season embracing that they can't run away from their family, from, from who their family is, which the way, the way I say it sounds really depressing, which I guess kind of... It kind of is, and that's sort of a problem with the whole, like, the whole season has this darkness to it, which I yeah. think could have been really compelling, but I think just becomes overpowering. The, the, now, I do think it really works in the Job episodes, Yes. which I think are two easily two of the best of the whole run. Yep. Uh, they're, they're both quite good, especially the first one. And uh, strangely enough, the only moments in the whole season that come close to having any sort of emotional grounding are actually his fake gay relationship with Tony wonder, <laughs> which, okay. Like I wasn't expecting to dig the Ben Stiller appearance that much, but I thought that stuff all really worked. I thought his uh, addiction to forget me nows was actually quite quite uh quite poignant in a strange yes. way and I, I i i don't know those were some of the few episodes that i thought really nailed that balance i should say also that for all of the bashing we've been doing i did laugh a fair amount over the course of the whole season it 
probably isn't a great sign, though, that a lot of the laughing I did w- involved callbacks to previous seasons, such as the the, the wonderful little oral gags, uh, at least one of which was new. I think the the coincidence. Oh uh, yeah, that was funny. Vo- vocal riff, which really got me a couple of times. I they could have even done that a little bit more, and yeah. the reappearance of Mister F was cute as well. But yeah, I don't know, and, and I I also have to appreciate, you know, when you're when you're watching it and really dissecting it, it's almost a little bit more frustrating because you realize how much work was put into the assembly and the sheer number of callbacks to stuff within and without the season, you know, through the whole show's run, even the things that go back to explain things that happened in previous seasons, et cetera. Like it's all so dense and so considered and was clearly the product of long, long hours in the writing room. And I want to give them props for that. It's just too bad that so much of it kind of whiffs past you. I don't think it's a coincidence that most of what I've... <laughs> I can't believe I set you up for that. Uh, I don't think it is that that um, the episodes that I'm most hearing people fond of are the Job episodes and the Tobias episodes, as well as Buster. Um, and, and His one episode. Yeah, Buster's one. <laughs> like the, and maybe and, um, and George Michael towards the end. Because those were the episodes that did have the most attempt at, at heart and some sort of, uh, you know, positive trait to, to the storyline. As far as Job maybe learning a lesson from, uh, you know, getting getting a lesson taught to himself by himself accidentally, or or Tobias searching for, for love and happiness in his episodes in his own very strange way. I don't think it's a coincidence that the episodes that strive the most to have some sort of a arc and um, positive message to them are the ones that people are most connecting with. At least that's what I've heard. And I really did miss that in the other episodes. Um, Unless you guys have more along this thread, I feel like I should say something positive because I did actually enjoy many of these episodes. Um, Do you guys want to talk about the the guest cast? Because I feel like we got to throw some love to John Slattery. John Slattery. And Marilyn Ricecope, I was going to say she was uh, she has a really challenging role because she doesn't get to say a damn word. I thought she was really funny as Heartfire. It was a silly role, but she made me laugh every time she was on screen. She, she was really good. Um, it's a, it's a small thing, but I actually really did like the way they got Maria Thayer to come in as Michael's wife in her only ever appearance. And I kind of wish they'd done more with that. Actually, a lot more. See, I kind of wish that they had never shown her. Like, uh, th- that was the one thing I didn't really like about the '80s era flashbacks, that where this time they decided to cast Kristen Wiig and Seth Rogen as younger Lucille and George. Kristen Wiig is probably the only person who who should have played young Jessica Walter if you're going to go for a fairly big name comic actress. Like, she was fine, but I mean, in the original series, who played young Lucille and George? Jessica Walter and Jeffrey Tambor, and yeah. that was part of the joke, and that was funny. But I mean, and, and I like Seth Rogen. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. I don't really think that his stuff. I mean, he he barely had anything to do to begin with, and I don't understand why he was there. Maria Thayer was a good casting choice, I guess, for Tracy. But I I always liked telling the original show we never actually met her. We always just had this idea of who she was, and seeing her now, it, it wasn't a bad choice. I mean, she was fine but it almost felt like oh i wish they i i wish they would have held back on that well and i like isla fisher a lot actually but i would have much rather seen uh seen those two roles reversed and have maria thayer (laughs) as the love interest i would have been much more interested in that but i didn't need any of those flashbacks i really didn't need to have every 
gap filled in with Barry and uh, where all these horrible lawyer lawyering misconceptions have come from. Those scenes were absolutely extraneous and added nothing really despite I, I, I would say actually Kristen Wiig was fantastic playing a young Lucille but again we didn't need it we didn't need to see that and it was jarring for me it felt like they're like you know what we could cast Kristen Wiig and Seth Rogen in this I have no idea what they'll play let's just find a reason to put them in because they're awesome and that's not good enough reasoning for me if you're gonna do a show I also found it, even though I don't watch it, I found it really distracting when the workaholics guys showed up for one scene. <laughs> I uh, like that them. Because but... it was a cameo, though. I mean, that works because it's just like a throwaway bit. And that, you know, it wasn't like they were going to show up again later in the series. So. Yeah, fair enough. I, I also noticed, a, like, there was it just me or was there a really dense cast of guests who only showed up for a few seconds in the Buster yes. episode? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. You had like an office, a little mini office reunion with David Wallace and, and, uh, Gabe, and I know Zach Woods is also, he was in In the Loop, but yeah, that was a lot of different guests. That episode, actually, the Buster episode, had the only, like, belly laugh that I had in the entire season. I, I, like, I smiled a lot during these episodes, and I chuckled a bit. The only time I laughed out loud, like, purely laughed out loud, was the one-liner where Lucille says, looking at Buster's new hand, that he looks like he should be pointing at gold, like, people who should sell their gold to them or something. That, that... (laughs) That line th- completely threw me off guard. That was really funny, and that was probably, you know, that's that's one of the great lines that had nothing to do with any kind of continuity or callbacks or anything else. It was just a funny bit of dialogue. It wasn't. It was divorced of all the other kind of strings that were attached to all these episodes. Well, and and speaking of continuity, did any, did anyone else find that some people were more successful at jumping back into these roles than others? Like, for instance, I love Jeffrey Tambor, but something about him throughout as George Sr. was just a little off, maybe a little bit too muted. Was that just me? Well, I think the part of the issue with George Sr. was that his arc made him less of a of a jackass, I guess. Like, he starts out in his typical, oh, George Sr. being a kind of a dummy, but also trying to bilk people. And then by the end, he's essentially a woman, like, very feminine, like, over-feminized in a way. And that, I think, made it so... You know, you can't ever tell which character is the jackass between him and, you know, George Sr. and Oscar, you know, since they don't have the long hair differentiating them anymore. It's, I don't know. It, it Those episodes, I think, were probably the two weakest, the two George Sr. episodes, just because he felt like the, the writers felt like they weren't able to really capture his character that well. Was I the only one having some uh, flags raised by, by a certain storylines or certain wells of humor they kept going back to the reason i mentioned it is because the 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 gender issues in this episode in this season were somewhat troubling to me um the fact the fact that they basically are turning him into a woman which means he's crying all the time and weak and all these other things and then we have the constant references and gay phobia um of of the family's relationship with Tobias and they all think he's gay and he's completely freaked out and angry about this as opposed to that being an underlying current. They felt the need to take every opportunity to make fun of the notion that people think he's gay. Um, I don't know. I was really, and then also there's, they've always pushed boundaries, I guess you could say with racial humor and is it racist or is it making fun of racists? But maybe just cause I've had more distance and I'm watching this, you know, after watching television more and analyzing more but i i was really kind of off put by some of 
the wells of humor that they were going to. Am I just overanalyzing? I, I think there are some questionable bits. I think the worst one for me was uh, everything to do with with Lucille and the prison gang. Yeah. Which, yeah, that that's what I was thinking of when you were bringing up the race stuff, which, yeah, that wasn't funny and also was a little bit odious. Yeah, the, the I think the race stuff was maybe a little more. I had forgotten totally about the the Asian prison gang thing. And, and I mean, we're recording this two days after the episodes went up, and I've already forgotten some of these storylines, which just goes to show how impressive they are slash aren't. I mean, I think it's probably just them overcompensating for the kind of offensive humor that was on the original series and trying to make sure that it shows up and is bigger and and quote-unquote better i'm not saying it actually was better but i think think it's just them trying to make sure it's like sequelitis you have to do everything but more you know you have to make it bigger than it was yeah i can see that the just wonder am i supposed to take this gang seriously or not we knew whether we should take t-bone and uh (laughs) white power bill seriously but first we're supposed to she's supposed to be scared of these people and then they're threatening her with a ramen noodle stabbing knife that she can kill destroy by throwing water on it i mean i i don't know if that's supposed to be funny but it wasn't and it also didn't add to stakes for me i don't know i had significant issues with some of those storylines but we are actually running out of time um do we want to talk about uh, favorite episodes most effective least effective favorite running gags because i i gotta give it uh to to Tobias, I think, for his the, the to catch a predator sequence when he's trying to 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 call out to maybe, I think that's got to be the funniest. <laughs> that felt the most like original recipe, arrested development to me. The the efforts to continue the tradition of little visual gags. I mean, for instance, the bits of text that you would have to pause and read, um, or you know, the little oral shoutouts and things like that. Those were the the gags that most got to me, and like I said, that's a little bit troubling because a lot of the a lot of it is is carried on from before. I would say, like I mentioned, the two Job episodes to me are the clear highlights. Uh, I do like the George Michael episodes. I like Maybe's episode, and but uh, and I, one of the reasons I like Buster's episode, I should quickly mention, is because it, it it features really it's the only episode that has a really strong undercurrent of political satire, which was always sort of an underappreciated element to the first. Uh, few seasons and especially that quite brutal line about blowing up a taliban wedding ouch um yeah but you know i wish they'd taken a few more chances in that direction and they kind of didn't which was a little a little disappointing yeah i'm trying to think of an actual like it's hard to feel like there's a favorite episode i I, storylines i guess more than others i job's storylines i thought really worked very well they were you know nice payoffs to old gags you know the bees thing as opposed to beads that was funny and i liked having ann back on the show even if only for a little bit i think yeah (laughs) i think that the i I like the the whole wedding sequence also yes that was very good I, i think the last few episodes in general were solid as long as you don't think of them as the last few episodes you know the the second george michael episode ends like before they cut to the credits which actually come before the next time on arrested development there, the, the last shot, and I'm, I, I don't think this is an over-exaggeration, I, my, my jaw was open. I, I, was, I was shocked at how it ended, partly because of the ramifications of what happens in that shot, whatever those might be, and partly because I was thinking to myself, that's it? That's the end of this 15-episode experiment? Because 
it doesn't have you, know, you mentioned i think we mentioned cinco de cuatro earlier right yeah this idea yeah. that they're building they're building to this big cacophonous event this huge climactic thing no they aren't there's nothing happening there and that just that really frustrated me and as much as I liked those last few episodes, and I, I really did like the, the the George Michael and maybe arcs, it was very frustrating to think that you know what you know Mitch Hurwitz said originally, don't watch these in order, and then he said no no do watch them in order. And then about five or six episodes through, you're thinking you're, I was thinking to myself, you know I feel like I am watching these out of order. I don't feel like there is an order to these episodes, which was kind of vexing because I don't know where they go next and how it could ever be movie length. I don't know how they could combine these characters in the same room again and not have that take another 10 hours to get there. Well, and I don't care to see the movie after this. I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it, but <laughs> I I don't have any interest in most of these storylines. And so I don't care about watching a movie, especially because I I get frustrated when something like this which is so obviously a labor of love for the people people involved but also a show that fans had a lot to say about and really pushed to have come back in some meaningful way and then we're rewarded with absolutely no resolution i it felt they were not required to get anything the 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 run showrunners and writers don't owe the audience anything but i also can be pissed off at them if they decide that they don't need to give any resolution to the whole ridiculous number of storylines that they've thrown up in the air. And that's how I felt at the end of this. Like, why did I spend my time watching this? I didn't laugh enough to not be pissed off at this ending. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And yeah, there's just absolutely no resolution for any character whatsoever. And certainly not. And and certainly there there's like, uh, as Josh said, there's no way they could possibly wrap this up satisfactorily with a, with just a movie it would need to be a movie and at the at the pace this season went about seven more seasons <laughs> yeah <laughs> well do we have any final thoughts on Arsa development season four you know this is probably the last time this is ever going to happen on this scale with any beloved tv show ever frankly and i kind of wish it had gone better unlike josh i kept my ex- my expectations fairly low especially considering Mitch Hurwitz's post-Arrested Development track record, which hasn't been fantastic. This is probably better than all those other things he's been involved with, actually, still. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> uh, let's not forget that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't... I think by the measure of any other show, it was actually quite good. I, ironically, after all this complaint we've been doing. But <laughs> by the measure of Arrested Development, not so good. Yeah, it, it was... I, I did like it, and I, I would be interested in revisiting it somewhere down the line. I do feel like I would need to have, like, a Wikipedia page open to make sure I was actually plotting all of these characters' arcs out. I think I made a mention on Twitter on Sunday. I'm really excited to see the supercut that somebody creates where all of these storylines play out totally chronologically, and there's not all the little side cuts, and it's all just seamless as opposed to jumping back and forth because then it might make a little bit more sense but i i liked it i i i I do think this is about as good as it was going to get i don't think that this could have been any better i I don't think that that at this stage after seven years that mitch herwitz could have jumped back in and brought the exact same show And, and also to the point that simon made this is absolutely better than running wild and sit down shut up did you guys catch the running wild casting reference here Remind no. me. 
Carrie Russell plays the voice of Ed Helms's wife. <laughs> she, oh, in that, there's that one little gag where she leaves the message, and I noticed in the credits Carrie Russell. <laughs> oh, that was cute. a that was a surprising little uh, in joke. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I just say I I was very disappointed because I had I didn't have unreasonable expectations. I had these are the people who made Arrested Development seasons one through three, so they clearly know what they're doing and. I'm, they think they have a story to tell that warrants another season, so I'm going to trust them. And I did feel let down by that. Um, I didn't laugh enough. I, wa- I rewatched some of the very first episodes um, the night before, and I was laughing out loud, rolling on the floor, kind of laughing out loud at those episodes. And, and that just didn't happen this time, especially because I did rewatch the first several, and they really did not work for me on a second watch anywhere near as well as the rest of the the series before this um that being said i was laughing it is a funny show these are very talented people um does does each episode need to have at least five minutes cut out of it probably but you know if you're if you're not gonna be too annoyed by something like that still check it out just know that it's not that great on the scale of risk development and just kind of Look for the gems. And I would say if you like the other stuff, do watch it. Don't skip it or anything. But just know that it's its own entity, I suppose. Yes. Yes. So, Josh, thank you so much for coming on uh, to talk with us. For Hopefully out there in listener land, you don't realize how messed up our recording has been. But you've been wonderful, Josh. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Masterpiece. Uh, you can find Masterpiece Cinema on iTunes. We're coming back uh, this month. We had our, our uh, hiatus uh, for obvious, understandable reasons to people who know the show. But we're coming back on June 1st, and we'll have all new episodes, tons of new guests. should be a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.